0: All it is this time, um, kindergarten and pre-K, who's teaching today, Ben? Miss Rachel, y'all are so lucky you get to hang out with Miss Rachel. Look at Cool Ray Ann right there, that's what I'm talking about. That girl's ready for summertime. She's like, bring on Memorial Day weekend and ready. Y'all, it is good to be back, good to be home. Um, before we jump in this morning to our text, I, I just want to take a moment to highlight a couple of things. I want to just celebrate some stuff. That happened last week because there were some some really cool things. I listened to um, this service on on Zoom as we were traveling, and, and I'll be honest, um, because we were kind of we were traveling kind of in and out, and I'm driving at the same time. It was a little hard to focus and hear and cell service and yada yada yada. So, but it was it was excellent in its own right. Just kind of getting to be a part. And when you listen to the podcast, you don't get to hear the testimonies and the and the, and the music and all that. Um, and so I listened to just their testimony again on the way home. Um, from Georgia this week and man just so stinking good like I I don't know I it was it was a bummer for me like when I asked Josh and Lana to come and speak while I was out it was just kind of a fill-in like a pulpit supply kind of thing not realizing what God was gonna do (laughs) while I was gone but also that was super encouraging and I'll I'll touch back on that in a minute but I can't wait to to go and hang out with TGP Lafayette like I just want to hug them all because I don't know about you, but their story felt like our story, you know, like all the things that they testified, especially Josh and Lana, just the things that they've gone through while our scenarios may be a little bit different. The story's the same in terms of God speaking and, and them walking in obedience and learning. I mean, that's just, that's who we are. And so it's really encouraging. Um, I also watched the Sin Law Interfaith Assembly online, and wow, that was incredibly powerful for those of you that went um, and and were delegates for our church, thank you guys for doing that. I talked to Michelle, I texted with Craig afterwards, Um, I I texted with Ben Nugent, who is the organizer, Um, Reverend Green's a good friend of mine, I called and talked to him for about 30 minutes after the event, and it was just incredible, and you could feel the energy and the love through the internet which was i can only imagine what it was like to be in that room and so i wanted to just say thank you um, guys for that and i'm excited to see how god's going to use that organization to make positive change in our in our communities and and if you didn't notice the bridge is out and so we may have an opportunity to use that organization's pull uh, here before long depending on what uh, the plan is for that But we'll talk more about that later And then, of course, we had our regular Wednesday and Thursday night ministry teams that just handled their stuff beautifully. And there was some weather and concern and everybody's texting and communicating. I I say all that to say this, like the goal of anybody that's in church leadership is to work yourself out of a job. And what I mean by that is to train your people and get them motivated to following God to such a, a point that you don't have to do it all yourself. Um, and it was, I was telling Bethany while we were gone this week, it was so neat after this week to kind of look back at all that God has done through you guys and to realize that God didn't need me and didn't need her in order for that to take place. That you guys own these ministries and it's about you pursuing God, not you pursuing a leader. Um, and that is such an incredible blessing. And so I, I wanted to just point all that out and to say thank you. I'm proud of you guys and I want you to know that. In spite of all the good that happened last week, um, there were also some people in our body that, that were handling ministry this week that was very difficult um, and some difficult situations. And if you've paid attention to the news, there's some things uh, in our nation that were, that were hard. I thought and prayed a lot for you guys this week and also for our country as I was kind of preparing for today's message. Um, most of you guys are probably aware of the guidepost investigation that came out about the SBC. And if you would like to talk to me privately about that, we certainly can do so. If you're unfamiliar with that, you can Google it later, but it's horrific to say the least. Um, wisdom is needed, and just like two weeks ago when I needed um, a message on joy that comes through faith, I needed a message this week on wisdom. And I've thought a lot about this text um, about our churches um, as I've I've kind of been prepared. Two weeks ago, we started. Looking at James by looking at the first few, and I wanted to just kind of jump back to that for just a minute. It's been two weeks to kind of get our minds back in the same space. Um, I want to remind you that our goal in the study is not to look at James's words and to use that as a list of things that I should and should not do, Um, and then try to conform ourselves to what James says our lives ought to look like. And I want to, I said that two weeks ago, but I want to dive a little deeper into that idea this morning. I want to remind us that Jesus taught directly against that type of lifestyle the lifestyle of looking at a list of do's and don'ts and saying this is what I should do and I'm going to just conform to that because it's the right thing to do Um, and I, I love that the Bible message pointed that out this morning again that may have been why we got the repeat and I don't remember the line exactly but it was something to the effect of Jesus was trying to help them understand that what he was saying now was more significant than what he had said in the past is that is that paraphrasing it correctly Maybe so. Here's what I want us to see this morning. Matthew 23, verse 27. This is Jesus, and he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. So he's addressing the fact that the Pharisees spent all their time and all their energy focusing on their outward appearance, but never working on the heart. And there's a danger for us as we study a book like the book of James, for us to look at it as a list of things and ways that we ought to act. And I want us to avoid that. The whole point of this study is for us to to realize and to understand to a greater degree every day the truth of who Jesus is and for him to change us from the inside out. So when we look at this book, when James says to the church as he's writing this letter, he's not saying act like this. He's saying if you are pursuing the Holy Spirit, if you are abiding in 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 Christ this is what your life will look like okay so our goal is to to develop true faith and true faith never stops growing and I want us to I'm going to say that every week most likely that our goal is to develop true faith and that true faith never stops growing because I don't want us to get to a place where we are satisfied with who we are right because until we are just like Jesus there's more room for us to grow so, we're approaching this letter with the understanding that James's intent was to communicate to these new believers what authentic, true faith looks like. Not a list of do's and don'ts. Not so that they could mimic what he's saying, but to provide them with a gauge, a litmus test, if you will, of, that would lead them to pursue their relationship with God more. We are going to see, we're going to judge ourselves against these things that we read in the book of James. But the goal is not to make us feel guilty and change our behaviors because we feel guilty. The goal is for us to just see that we're not like Jesus yet, and to let that be a driver for us to push into him, not into quote-unquote correct behavior. So Jesus, uh, James briefly introduces himself, and then he dives right into the deep end. So let's review real quick what we we talked about two weeks ago as we begin. So picking up in verse 2, it says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. So again, James pushing that idea right from the beginning of of continual growth, that we would continue to become mature and complete. I posed the question uh, out of these verses of how much joy do you want? And we focused that way because James is telling these new believers that if they're going to face a lot of trials, but how they decide to deal with those is going to determine the outcome of those trials. We talked about the fact that there's a state of mind that we have to choose and that that state of mind matters. We talked about the importance of lamenting as part of the process of dealing with hardships. That James isn't saying to the church, when you face these trials, ignore them. He's saying, dig in, figure out why you feel the way that you feel. If there's suffering that's going on, let's dig down to the root of that and let God address that, not ignore it. And then last we, we, we saw that as we struggle with others, both their faith and our own is built up. Then James continues to say in verse 4, he says, And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. James's suggestion is that we embrace those trials with a specific determination, that we're going to be obedient, and with the understanding that God is going to use those trials for our good, and that we're going to receive joy as a result of that. I loved as Josh and Lana were, were sharing their testimony, the fact that Josh joked about as they're riding back to Lafayette in the car from visiting family that if God calls them to be homeless, they'll just be homeless, and then Lana literally goes into a panic attack. It was, it was funny to, to look at that, and I totally get Lana's response because I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in being homeless, if I can avoid it in any way possible. But allowing God to work in our lives is what's going to make us more like himself. As we listen to their testimonies last week, and as you think about your own lives, you'll see this pattern of difficulty that's accompanied by personal growth. What we saw in the Carver story and in our own story is that even though we are struggling, God brings joy as we follow his leading. I didn't put these pieces together until just a moment ago in worship, but when I was at my conference this week, the first session was on um, decoupling. Um, specifically a consumer chain. So I'm at a retail technology conference where we're talking about how to help gas stations sell more product. That really is the end goal of this, of this event that I was at. And they were talking about how disruption is a good thing. And I want you to think about, we're going to just take an aside for a minute. I want you to think about your own life. Think about going into a gas station. If you go to a gas station and you go to buy gas and you do it at the pump and you pay at the pump chances are likely that you're not going to go inside unless there's something else that you need in there right and so the transaction ends there you've only bought gas the retailer they make like maybe a nickel a gallon on that so they don't make very much they make their money when you go in the store and when you go in the store the next thing that that you're you're confronted with is a lot of options right you go to get a drink and well I was just going to get a bottle of water but you know that coca cola's looking pretty good, and now i 'm spending a little bit more, and then you go to the checkout counter and now there 's all this fried food and who can avoid fried food, especially if you live in Louisiana? your mouth's salivating already isn 't it right? The whole point of all of that is to cause disruption in your life and if what, what we 've figured out is if we can cause disruption in your life, we can change your behavior okay now let's let 's jump back to James for just a minute. Now I want us to think about our own lives, and I want to thank you to think about. The difficult things that you have gone through before. And those difficulties disrupted your life. They got you out of your normal flow. And they made you re-examine and look at the things that are really important. So as we look at what James is saying today, as we look at what he said last week, as we move through this book, I want us to understand that God's goal in having us go through struggles is not because he's mad at us. But in fact, it's because he loves us, he allows us things to happen. And His intent and our intent should be to pursue God as we face those difficulties. To say, God, what is it that you're trying to accomplish in my life right now? As we're going through a trials, what is it that we want more than anything? When you enter a difficult season, what do you want more than anything? You want resolution, right? That's what your, that's what your end game is, is that whatever is hurting right now, if you, get, you ever, like, go walking in the woods and you get a burr in your sock and you don't realize it and you throw that sock in the wash machine and it goes through the wash cycle and then you put that sock back on later and you take a step and that burr buries itself in the bottom of your foot and you're like, oh my gosh, what do you got to do? You got to get that shoe off and get that burr out because it hurts, right? We want to remove that pain from our life. We, wanna, we want to, to take whatever that problem is and remove it. When we face trials, we want to get through that trial on based on what we've learned so far in this book, we want to get through it and we want life to be better on the other side of that trial. James knows this and he's going to encourage the church to do just that. We're going to pick up today in verses 5 and go through 8. It says, now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. We're going to address that latter part in just a few minutes, but let's start at the beginning. This word for wisdom is translated from the Greek word Sophia, okay? And Sophia refers to specialized wisdom wisdom that can only come from God wisdom as we typically think about it or it's kind of common understanding in the English language is knowledge that is the quality of having experience knowledge and good judgment and then being those three things being put into practice when those are combined experience knowledge and good judgment a person is considered wise that's not what James is talking about here James is referring to a wisdom that comes from God's experience, God's, God's knowledge, and God's good judgment, not our own. Do you see the difference? We're going to break that down here in just a minute. We can gain wisdom from outside of God, and we're going to discuss that a little later in the message, but James is talking about wisdom that comes from God as we are abiding in him. Two, week, two weeks ago, I left this on a kind of a cliffhanger question, and I did that on purpose to kind of prep our hearts for what God was going to say next. But what if the situation that you are facing is bigger than you and you don't even know where to start? As I mentioned a few moments ago, many of us have found ourselves in those kinds of places recently. And we're doing our best to abide, but the things that we're facing are so much bigger than we are. And so what do we do? How do we proceed in a way that both benefits us And brings God his glory. The answer is simple. We ask for wisdom and James says that God's going to do what? He's going to give it to us. When we're facing trials, suffering hardships, whatever word we want to use, we ask God for wisdom and God gives us his wisdom. This is the only point I want you to hear today. This is the only point I have. Is that God gives us his wisdom. And we know that to be true because we see it modeled in Jesus' life. And this is where James gets the wisdom to tell the church where to find wisdom, okay? Follow me down this mental rabbit trail for just a moment. James is referred to as, a, as the, the letter of James is referred to as modern day wisdom literature. But where did James get this wisdom that he is sharing? James was the son of a carpenter. He's pretty low on the socioeconomical rankings, right? the son of a carpenter, a man who works with his hands for living. He didn't go to fancy schools. He didn't have his doctorate degree in theology or philosophy or anything else. James is just a dude, just like you and I, who happens to be the brother of Jesus. But he writes this letter and it's considered wisdom literature. That's putting him in the same rankings as guys like King Solomon. Right? So how does And King Solomon had all the stuff. We're going to talk about him in a little bit. But James didn't have any of that. And so how does a guy who just grows up learning from his father how to build stuff, go to write a letter that is considered now by every believer to be wisdom literature? It can only come from one place. It comes from God. James heard Jesus say Things like Matthew records in this gospel, things like Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. James was told by Jesus directly that if he would just ask God for it, God would give it to him. James also grew up hearing that through the Proverbs, Proverbs 28, 5 the evil do not understand justice but those who seek the lord what understand everything god made it clear through his word and through jesus that if we want to gain knowledge and understanding and practical application of those things all we need to do is ask jesus if you're in a situation right now that you don't understand ask god to give you his perspective to give you his wisdom when we studied the book of Ecclesiastes, we talked about the author who we think is probably King Solomon and, and how he got his wisdom. Now Solomon's considered to be the wisest man to ever live, but where did that wisdom come from? Was he born with it? Did he go to a special school? He probably had some additional training that James didn't have. But let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7-12. through I want you to see where Solomon got his wisdom from. He so, said, Lord my God, and this is Solomon talking, You have made your servant king in my father David's place. Yet I am just a youth with no experience in leadership. Your servant is among your people you have chosen, a people too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant a receptive heart to judge your people and to discern between good and evil for who is able to judge this great people of yours. Now it pleased the Lord that Solomon had this request. So God said to him, because you have requested this and did not ask for long life or riches for yourself or death of your enemies, but you asked discernment for yourself to administer justice, I will therefore do what you have asked. I will, give you a wise, I will give you a wise and understanding heart so that there has never been anyone like you before and never will be again. There's a couple of things that are worth noting here. The first is that Solomon was not interested in wisdom for his own sake, but for the good of the people around him. It's because of his heart, and I want you to think back to our discussions of Cain and Abel when we studied the book of Hebrews. It's because of the condition of his heart that God chose to give him wisdom. Remember Cain and Abel? They both presented an offering to the Lord. God accepted Abel's, but he did not accept Cain's, and what was the reason for that? Abel did it because he loved God, and he wanted to make that sacrifice. Cain did it because he was supposed to, and God did not receive his sacrifice. The way that we approach God when it comes to wisdom matters. If we're just in it just solely for us, God's going to see that and he's going to judge us. But if we're pursuing the Lord for the sake of not just ourselves, but for others as well, God's going to receive that. The second thing I want to point out is that we know that Solomon's life, that the wisdom of God did in fact benefit Solomon as an added bonus, right? Because God made him wise in how to judge his people, that wisdom spilled over into other areas of his life. And the same is going to be true for you and I. God's wisdom will inform all of our life, not just the portion that we're requesting wisdom for. I can tell you some of the personal struggles that I've been through in my life when I've asked God for wisdom and he's given me, he showed me how to deal with that situation. That wisdom has overflowed and made ripple effects in the rest of my life because it changes how I see the world. And the same is going to be true for you. You probably got some testimony about that already. So we see that James and the other biblical characters make it clear that we can receive wisdom from God. But James goes on to clarify how that works. He's not done yet. Look what he says in verse six and through eight. He says, but let him ask in faith without doubting for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. So James addresses two ideas in this last section. He says when we ask for wisdom, we must have faith that God will give it to us. And then secondly, if a person doesn't have faith, James calls them double-minded, or more accurately translated, double-souled. We're going to dig into that in a minute. Let's talk about the first one first. One of my commentaries, the the Grace New Testament commentary said this, this weekend, it was significant for me. It said, when one doubts, he is not believing. When one believes, he is not doubting. Now, that doesn't seem terribly uh, spiritual or wise when you first hear it. But if you think about it a little further, it gets a little deeper. When one doubts, he's not believing. But one is, when one is believing, he's not doubting. It says, the Christian who comes to God for wisdom must come with calm confidence in the Lord. Let's look at some examples of that. Matthew twenty one twenty one, Jesus answered them, truly, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you tell this mountain be lifted up and thrown into the sea, it will be done. Based on this commentary and on scripture, if you think about faith, it seems a lot like a light switch. It's on or it's off. There is no in between. There's no middle ground. You ever tried to put a light switch in the middle? What happens? Nothing. Nothing happens because it's on or it's off. And faith is a lot like that. We're going to continue to see that in our next example. Look at Matthew chapter 14, verses 27 through 31. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them. He says, have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered, command me to come out to you on the water. And he said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand. He caught hold of him. And he said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter almost got it. He almost had it. It's like looking at a kid trying to learn how to ride a bicycle with no training wheels. You Have you have you done that? Have you experienced that or watched one of your children or grandchildren do that? And they, they're pedaling and you kind of, you give them the little shove and you're like, oh, they got it. They don't got it. They don't got it. That's what it was like for Peter. Peter said, Lord, if it's you, call me out. And he said, come on, boy, let's go. So Peter gets out of the boat. He climbs over the edge and he starts walking. But as soon as his attention gets off of Jesus and he looks at the waves and the wind, he begins to sink. You either believe or you don't believe. It's one or the other. I think we almost get it sometimes too. We're struggling. We want to believe. But we just don't quite make it there. Yesterday, kind of in preparation for this, I went back and listened to the sermon that God did on Hebrews chapter 11. I don't know if that's weird for y'all that I go listen to my own sermons, but God speaks to me through me because he spoke to me first. Anyway, don't laugh at me. But I went back and I re-listened to that message because I wanted to think about this idea of faith some more. And I was reminded of the, the, the guy who brought Jesus, his son, and said, heal him if you can. And Jesus says, if I can, I can do anything I want. We need to learn to trust Jesus. We, like Peter, often see the circumstances around us. We focus on the wind and the height of the waves, and that gets all of our focus. And we want to trust, but we're focusing on the wrong things. The difficulties get all of our belief. That's what we put our trust in, is that the fact that life is hard. That's what we... That's where we lean on is, I know this is hard because I can feel it in the moment. Jesus wants us to adjust where our trust is and put it on him. We believe that we'll overcome. We believe often that we're not going to overcome because things are so scary. scary. And that's where Peter found himself. Another one of my, this is a, a book study that I'm actually doing on the letter of James right now. And the author of that says, James's older brother was in the boat one day and the wind blew and the disciples said, Don't you care if we perish? And the Lord Jesus said, peace, be still to that wind. That's a doubt-torn believer tossed back and forth by the winds of doubt. James says, if you're going to have your prayers answered, you must ask in faith and not doubt. And then he finishes it with a very strong admonition. I can't say that word. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. God doesn't answer my prayers. Well, are you praying? Yes, I'm praying. Are you praying, believing? Yes, I'm praying, believing. Are you having any doubts? Well, that's another issue. James says a person who doubts and doesn't trust is not going to receive anything from the Lord. Oof. that's a tough one. A person who doubts and doesn't trust is not going to receive anything from the Lord. You know, last week we talked about the fact that we have to decide to look for joy, right? That's a decision that we make. And what I want us to see today is that we also have to decide to trust. We look back on the things that God has done in the past and we let that inform our current issues. This is yet another reason that it's so important that we share our stories with one another. Sometimes you may find yourself so overwhelmed by life that the things from your past are not enough. But you look back at the things and while the things that God's done in the past seem significant, they're just not quite enough to inform you about the circumstance that you're dealing with right now. But we may hear a story from a fellow believer that informs our belief. I want to I grab a piece of Bethany's testimony from this morning. This guy that has been diagnosed with cancer is her spiritual mentor at the cohort. His name's Kevin. And Kevin in this moment is going through a really difficult time and I I kind of have a feeling of what that's like cuz I went through it with Bethany. But here's what I can tell you for sure is that Bethany's going to be able to speak to him and share testimony with him that nobody else but a cancer survivor can do. That I could never bring him as much encouragement as she can because she's been through it. And that's significant. Obviously, the disciples' experience with one another and Jesus informed their faith, right? Their faith grew as they walked with Jesus and saw him do all the things that he did. The second thing that James mentions in that last section from verse 7 and 8, um, where he mentions being double-minded, let's look at that again. Look at verses 6 and 8. It says, Let him ask in faith without doubting, for a doubter is like a surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. We're going to see James kind of develop an idea as we move through this book. But James speaks about two types of wisdom, one from above and one from below. The wisdom from above is from God, and the other is wisdom of the world. That's something that we can gain ourselves just by doing life outside of God. James is saying, though, that we can't have it both ways. We either believe that God can give us wisdom, or we don't. It's that light switch thing again. We can either receive it or we can't. This is why he makes such a clear distinction between the two. You either believe God or you don't believe God. Josh and Lana's testimony is so powerful because they chose to believe God's wisdom over that of the world. By worldly wisdom, leaving one job without having another is the opposite of wisdom, right? My dad said to me one time when I was contemplating leaving a job, he said, a wise monkey never lets go of vine A until he has a firm grasp on Vine B. And in terms of the world, that's pretty solid advice. But I've lived enough life now to know that that's not always the case. That that little example, that little saying doesn't take into account God's activity. And some of us have been through that before. In Josh and Lana's case, the wise thing for them to do was to trust God to wait and sit on the back porch and let God speak for their next steps. And because they believe that God would provide for them, they've seen the fruit of following God's wisdom rather than the wisdom of the world. I I don't know if it was Josh or Lana, but said we were worried about our finances. But since we've stepped out in faith and done what God told us to do, we've got more money in our bank account now than we've ever had in our lives. That's something only God can do. And that only comes when we listen to God's wisdom instead of the wisdom of the world. I can't tell you, the number of times that I've personally crossed this bridge. And I've shared some of those stories with you guys in the past. I don't want to rehash that this morning. But many times God's given me a direction. And well many people in my life who love me would tell me to do the opposite of what God was saying to do. Not because they didn't want me to follow God, but because what God told me to do didn't seem like wisdom compared to the world's standard of what wisdom is. church that's a bridge that all of us are going to have to cross at some point if we are going to pursue the Lord if we're going to continue to abide in him there are going to be opportunities in your life where the people around you who love you are going to say that is not a wise decision and you have to make a decision in that point are you going to listen to the world's wisdom or are you going to listen to God's wisdom because James says you can only do one of the two and you have to choose which one it is As we listened to Josh and Lana this week, I found so many similarities between their stories and my own. And I'm sure the same is true for you guys. We all want to do what's wise. But as we're abiding, we sometimes see a separation between the world's wisdom and God's wisdom. And when we see that separation, it's when we have to make a choice. Do I want to trust God and follow his wisdom or follow my own? When we get to these moments, it's time to hit the pause button and just wait and ask God what to do. As the Carvers testified last week, waiting and listening to God brings joy that we talked about last week. Did you hear the joy last week when they were sharing their testimony? Could you see it on their faces? And that joy came not just because of the circumstances of life, that joy became, came because they, they understand more about who God is and their love for him than they did before. And as we face trials, as we face struggles, that's what we're going to receive as well. If we're lacking wisdom, God wants to give it to us. God wants us to see the world from His perspective. God wants us to trust Him to follow His wisdom, not the wisdom of the world. And if we will ask, God will give us His wisdom. As we close today, and we're going to have a little time of prayer and worship, I want to share some hope with you guys. Some of the people that I was thinking about when I wrote this are not here. But I'm sure they'll listen later. But if you're in a situation where you feel like Peter, where you've stepped out in faith, but now you feel yourself sinking, I want you to see that there's hope. I want you to be encouraged by how Jesus responds to Peter's lack of faith. Look back with me this real quick. Matthew 14, verses 30 and 31. It says, but when we saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me immediately jesus reached out his hand caught hold of him and said you have little faith why did you doubt you know, last week we were on the beach um, and we had some of the biggest strongest waves i've ever experienced in my life they weren't like massive like you see on tv where people are surfing and you're like they're gonna die you know these are probably three four foot swells but on a beach that's pretty significant especially if you've only been to the beach in the gulf they don't really get that big unless there's a storm coming in but we we're on the atlantic ocean and these, these waves are coming in. And it was a lot of fun, right, kids? It was a lot of fun, okay? It was a little nerve-wracking for mom and dad because I could, I mean, I'm, I'm pushing 200 pounds and I could feel it trying to take my feet out from underneath me and they weigh like way less than that, way, way less than that, okay? And so I'm thinking about all the things that could go wrong, okay? One of these, one of these times when these waves are so big, I had Charlie out there with me, I had her on my hip. She's wearing a life jacket and we began playing this game because I was trying to teach her how to body surf. The other kids were body surfing or boogie boarding and she wanted to do it so bad, but she's only six and she's a little bitty. And so I'm trying to teach her how to catch the wave and body surf on it. And as we're doing that, the waves are starting to get bigger and bigger. And so we started playing this game. So I got her on my hip and if I'm standing up when we're in the low part of the wave, it's like down here. And so I just kind of squatted down and I'm holding her on my hip. So now both of us are about just our heads over water. And these waves would begin to, to come in, and we would look at them towering over us as they would break. And she is just shaking. And then as the wave got to us, I would just do this, right? And both of us would bob up, and then we'd go down the other swell, the other swell and she would just squeal with joy. But every time the wave came in, she would begin to shake with fear. And then as soon as Dad jumped and we rode the backside of the wave down, she's squealing. Do it again, Dad, do it again. She was scared, but she trusted me to keep her head above the water. Squatted down. We see the wave coming, and we're scared. But God's got us, and we need to learn to trust that as that wave is cresting and it's about to break, God's just going to jump up a little bit, and it's going to be okay. It can be scary, but on the backside of that fear, we're going to find joy because we're going to get to experience God taking care of us god wants us to experience that kind of joy in our relationship with him peter called on jesus and he said save me because he was sinking and jesus did and if you're in a situation where life is hard and you don't know what to do call out to him he's going to pull you out and you're not going to sink If you've been treading water on an issue in your life, take this moment today to cry out to him. Ask him to save you. Ask him for his wisdom, and he will give it to you. He will build up your faith as you walk with him over those waves that were so scary. We're going to pray for just a minute. and It's going to be a little longer than we normally do, but I want you to take this moment to just invite God into your difficulties and to share his wisdom. Because church, God will give us his wisdom if we'll just ask him for it. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for this message today and for the the work that you've done in my heart this week to understand what it means to really have faith, to trust you and to receive your wisdom. God, this morning, if there are people in this room that are struggling right now that feel like they're sinking and they can't quite keep their head above the water, Father, I ask in this moment that you would give them an opportunity To just breathe easy knowing that if they'll just ask you'll pull them out of the water father i want to lift up the westbrook family specifically this morning god we are aware that they have been having a lot of difficulties with their current placement and father they need wisdom and they've been asking for it and god i ask that that if there is any bit of doubt in their minds and their hearts that you can give them the wisdom that they need to deal with that placement. Father, I ask that you would just pour that out on them right now. Father, we ask on their behalf for wisdom. Father, I pray for the Southern Baptist Church as a whole and all the churches independently. God, that you would give give us wisdom on how to facilitate the recovery and the healing for the victims. God, that you would speak to all of those that are in leadership in these local churches. Father, that you would give us the wisdom to put in place policies and practices that would prevent these kinds of things from happening and protect those that have been victimized. God, we need your wisdom in this. It is obvious that we cannot do it on our own. God, as we talked to DOTD this week about the bridge and the effect that it's going to have on this community, Father, I ask that you would give us wisdom to pursue you, not, not the things that seem like they would be right. But, Father, I ask that you would use this as an opportunity for you to get glory in this community, not TGP West, not Will, not Sinla Interfaith, not DOTD. Father, that you would get glory through this disruption in our lives and the lives of this community. God gives us wisdom on how to minister to this community, how to meet the needs of this community because they are cut off from the things that they need, transportation and groceries and all of that. God, there are things happening in our lives that are so much bigger than we are. There are areas of our lives where we maybe haven't had the courage to ask you for wisdom yet. God, I ask that this week that you would deal with us on that, that you would... Pull those wounds open that you would reveal them and help us begin to lament or dive into whatever it is that's going on in our lives. God, that you would make pursuit of you and your wisdom a higher priority than the waves that appear to be crashing over us. Father, that we would put our belief and our trust in you and not in our circumstances. God, I ask these things for myself and for our church. In Jesus' name I pray. He goes.